0: Hello, I'm Billy Jacobson, a partner at Allen & Overy specializing in white-collar criminal work, including FCPA defense, enforcement, and compliance. This is one in a series of web chats recorded during this period of self-isolation with prominent folks in the anti-corruption world to help keep us all a little better informed and frankly, to help distract me from the lack of baseball. I'm joined today by Shruti Shah, the President and CEO of the Coalition for Integrity, or C4I an NGO based in Washington, D.C., which focuses on combating corruption in the United States and promoting integrity in the United States. Welcome, Shruti.
1: Hi, Billy, and hello to everyone.
0: How are you holding up during this weird, bizarre period, Shruti?
1: So we are doing okay. I guess I uh, realized just how fortunate we are to be living in a comfortable house and you know, to have the good fortune to work from home.
0: Yeah, agreed. Agreed. So for those who aren't familiar with it, briefly give us an explanation of the of the mission of C4I, if you don't mind.
1: So, Billy, you kind of adequately explained it in your opening. Our mission is really to reduce corruption and to promote integrity in both the public and private sector. Uh, when I think of it, I would say we have three main areas of focus. One is to promote effective enforcement of foreign bribery laws around the world and to encourage private sector anti-corruption compliance. Uh, The second would be to reduce impunity enjoyed by corrupt public officials all around the world. And the third is to promote transparency and ethics in federal and state governments.
0: Now, I understand that one of the many projects that you're working on these days has to do with the stimulus package already passed by the U.S. Congress and other uh, portions of that package that are yet to come. Am I right about that? Uh, you're
1: absolutely right. And, you know, it's a historic uh, stimulus. I mean, the level of spending is historic, even by the standards of the federal government. It's, uh, you know, the CARES package is $2 trillion, which is nearly half of our 2019 budget.
0: And what do you see as the corruption challenges or the fraud potential from the stimulus package? And, and, and what is C4I hoping to do to mitigate that risk somewhat?
1: So there are several issues that we are concerned about. Number one, as I said, uh, that it is really a large amount of spending. And really, it was necessitated by the current health crisis. And we need to revive our economy and certainly make sure that people have the safety net that they need. So by all means, we think it was necessary. Generally, we understand from experts that federal programs have a fraud rate of about 5 to 7%. Even if by some miracle, we reduce uh, that rate in this current stimulus uh, to 1%, 1% of $2 trillion is still a very, very large number. When any amount is lost through fraud or abuse, it kind of compounds people's misery, especially at a time when they are suffering greatly. So we're really concerned about it. We are pleased to see that the stimulus package has many oversight provisions that we had uh, advocated for. Our concern is that the money might not be spent for what it is allocated to. So we we are working on several things with regard to that. One, we are going to continue to push for strong oversight and for transparency on how the funds are spent, right down to transparency at the state and local level as well. The second project that we are actually going to do is our work on inspector generals. We are coming out with a report which would actually explain the transparency oversight and the accountability provisions already included in the CARES package, and then explain a bit about the history of inspector generals and really the work that they have done in the past to prevent fraud, waste, and abuse. And the idea is to come up with recommendations for Congress, for administration, and for inspector generals themselves so that they can adequately fulfill their duty to prevent fraud, waste, and abuse in this current stimulus.
0: So is the idea to perhaps, with Inspector Generals, is the idea perhaps to promote some more independence within the offices of Inspector General?
1: So while we don't have any foregone conclusion, to put it bluntly, one of our recommendations for Congress would be to ensure that Inspector Generals are not fired without any cause, uh, so that they can do their work independently and really without any fear of retaliation.
0: Well, that would be great. One of my former DOJ colleagues, uh, Mike Atkinson, was recently fired as the Inspector General over the intelligence community, and some harsh things were said about him, and some untrue things, in in my opinion, uh, and in a lot of our opinions, was said about him in course of his termination. And anything we could do. This is me saying this, not you, Shruti, But anything we can do to promote the greater independence of inspectors general and anything your group can do to shed some light on the transparency, uh, create transparency around the workings of the offices of inspector general I think would be really welcome.
1: Just to add one more point to what you said, of course, I don't know Michael Atkinson and and certainly he wasn't my colleague, but but I will say that we want the public and we want everyone to realize that uh, the Office of Inspector Generals is not a political or a partisan office and it should not be treated as uh, one either. Uh, Their duty is really, to support the federal government and to support like really the taxpayers cause to prevent fraud, waste and abuse of taxpayers money. They are really critical in our federal government and we are hoping that our policy paper really explains why and um, helps people
0: understand really their importance. Now, Shruti, are there any other corruption challenges um, for the private sector to face that C4I is is looking at in this current environment? Certainly. So number one, I want to say that we really value the work that
1: the private sector is doing, particularly during this crisis. I mean, many of them have stepped up in terms of safety of their employees, communication to their employees, and other private sector companies have stepped up in several other ways. Uh, fashion gurus are making masks, beverage companies are making hand sanitizer, and so many companies are rushing to find a cure or a vaccine. All of that we greatly appreciate. But in terms of risk to the private sector at large, there is a considerable disruption in the supply chain, which makes due diligence of new suppliers difficult in this current environment because you're scrambling to find new suppliers, you're scrambling to do due diligence where information might not be available. The second thing is, uh, as we all have seen, the economy has suffered. So there is increased pressure to meet targets increase pressure to somehow uh, make sure that your revenues are not falling beyond a certain point so compliance officers and really every employee of a company should be vigilant that integrity doesn't fall by the wayside separately in connection to the stimulus companies which are receiving stimulus funds or want to put in an application to receive stimulus funds Also have to ensure that they really are certifying things honestly and that they are entitled to receive stimulus funds and that they use the stimulus funds for the reason that they are given and use their judgment wisely and don't spend the money on, say, stock buybacks or showing up executive play. Uh, but they use it for the benefit of their business and their employees.
0: And I think later on in this series that I'm doing, we'll have um, on some chief compliance officers getting at your first point to get a sense of what they're doing uh, during this crisis to make sure that their companies stay compliant, don't bow to the pressures that the economy and this current crisis are are bringing forward, uh, which is hard during a period of remote work, not having eyes on, not being in the office, not being able to travel around the country and the world to various locations to make sure everything's okay. It's got to be a very unsettling time for a lot of reasons, for a lot of people, but yes. particularly for chief compliance officers in this regard.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. And and now more than ever, I think their role is so important because uh, they not only have to figure out how to do their own work in this complex environment, how to adapt their work without the ability to travel or to connect directly with the uh, employees in the company, but they also have to somehow provide what I would say a beacon of hope to explain to employees and to everybody, suppliers, customers, why integrity still matters. How you do business also matters. It's not just uh, how much you profit or really uh, what you're doing in the short term, but you have to kind of have a long-term view and understand the impact uh, uh, of your company to the larger environment as well.
0: Now, Shruti, let me change uh, gears. We've been talking about domestic corruption for the most part, um, potential uh, corruption and fraud with regard to the stimulus package, etc. But shifting to the subject of foreign bribery, earlier this year, the Coalition for Integrity submitted comments uh, to the OECD Working Group on Bribery in connection with the Working Group's review of the United States' implementation of its foreign bribery, Act, the FCPA, and the uh, investigations and prosecutions under the FCPA. Now, for those that don't know, the OECD Working Group routinely looks at and monitors how countries, uh, member OECD countries, are implementing their foreign bribery law and investigating and prosecuting uh, crimes or potential crimes under their foreign bribery laws. In fact, the Working Group is now in phase four of looking at all the various countries, some 40-odd countries that have been reviewed at least three times, and now they're in the fourth series. So earlier this year, the OECD Working Group was looking at the United States. I don't think the report's out yet, but you can correct me if I'm wrong. And uh, C4I issued some comments with regard to its view as to how the United States uh, is doing. And I understand, Shruti, that your view is generally The United States is doing pretty good, especially when compared to its peer countries. Is that right?
1: That's absolutely right. And I just want to say the report is not yet out, but our comments are available on our website, www.coalitionforintegrity.org, so people can, of course, uh, get a copy of our website. Secondly, I know you mentioned we submitted comments earlier this year. It may seem like a long time ago, given what has transpired, but we actually submitted comments
0: in March. Coalition for Integrity's view is that the DOJ and the SEC and the government generally is doing a really good job. There were some points uh, that you wanted to uh, make for constructive criticism or uh, whatever you want to call it. Uh, One of them was uh, with regard to several pieces of legislation that are before Congress right now that get at the demand side of bribery. And I wonder if you could discuss those for a few moments.
1: Yeah, um, so there are several pieces of legislation before Congress that discuss demand-side issues. And I want to get at the overall point. I mean, we have felt, and several others of our colleagues in the private sector have felt there's an accountability gap where companies are often uh, uh, criticized, and of course they are held accountable for supply-side issues, for paying bribes. But at the other end, where there is active solicitation of bribes, people are not held accountable to that extent. So we really do recognize that. And we understand that it's important for companies acting with integrity to feel that demand side issues are also addressed and that the government sees them as a priority as well, because they are doing business in many of those countries where there is systemic uh, corruption. There are several pieces of legislation. Now, we are not advocating for any particular piece. We generally feel we are supportive of any legislation which tackles demand side issues. There are some that name uh, kleptocrats. There are some that discuss the assets which are seized from uh, kleptocrats. They shine a light on those. There's a piece of legislation that provides an anti-corruption fund to support rule of law in countries uh, that are struggling with really uh, corrupt public officials. All of those pieces of legislation we support because we support the the intention behind them uh, to the extent they tackle demand side issues. And the second point I wanted to make was that the DOJ uh, and the U.S. definitely has already done quite a bit in tackling demand side issues. Uh, There is the Global Magnitsky Act, which uh, allows them to deny visas and certainly seize assets of uh, 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 human rights abusers and those that commit significant acts of corruption. Uh, And that has been used uh, quite actively in recent times. And there is the kleptocracy initiative of the DOJ housed in the money laundering section, as you well know, Billy. And they have also had some recent actions. The 1MDB case, the Uzbek Telecom case. I mean, they have been high profile and and they are quite frankly welcomed by us in uh, the nonprofit
0: community. No, I agree. And, and this all becomes an issue because, the, of course, the FCPA does not allow within the FCPA itself for the prosecution of the corrupt officials. It really just gets at the supply side of bribery. But As as you're pointing out, in the last 10 years or so, DOJ has done a lot, including bringing uh, money laundering charges against the government officials who are demanding the bribes. And those have been challenged, those actions have been challenged in the courts and upheld. Courts have said that even though the FCPA does not allow the prosecution of the government officials, uh, the money laundering laws do allow the prosecution of those corrupt officials for money laundering incident to an fcpa violation so in that way they've they've done what they can do the doj has with the tools at their disposal and these statutes or these bills rather that are before congress may permit doj and other parts of the government to do even so another point made in the report, rudy uh has to do with the prosecution of uh, senior corporate executives or the lack thereof. While there have been plenty of individual prosecutions under the FCPA, there have been few of very senior uh, corporate officials, and that's something that you point out in your report, right? Absolutely, Billy. Uh,
1: so put it in to put it into context, um, you know, the DOJ has for the last few years uh, reiterated that it is their priority to go after individuals, and we generally support that. Our overall point is that there has to be a balance between both enforcement actions against companies and against individuals. Because, say, if you just concentrate your enforcement actions against companies, then individuals might not necessarily have the incentive to engage in uh, what I would call ethical behavior. And similarly, if you are only going to levy enforcement charges against individuals, then company boards might not have the incentive to give budget outlets to the compliance department. So both are necessary and the pendulum can't swing too far either way. But you specifically mentioned uh, individuals in senior positions at large uh, public companies. And uh, now that's something we have pointed out, uh, particularly because when you when there is only one public study on SCPA um, cases out, which is the Stanford University study, which points out that so enforcement actions against individuals have gone up in the past years. 85% of them relate to privately held or small companies, whereas the majority of the DOJ's fines and enforcement actions against companies are large multinational companies. So there does seem to be a, a lack of balance there. And I will point out that the DOJ has tried to do a little bit more. They have gone after senior officials at Braskem, at Cognizant, to name a few. And that's a trend we want to see continue because there is no greater, um, I guess, deterrent against bribery than holding individuals to account.
0: No, I agree. That's right. The the corporate funds will only get you so far in terms of deterring the corporate bribery. Individuals going to jail, putting on orange jumpsuits will get uh, everyone's attention much more. But do you think, Shruti, do you think the lack of senior executive prosecution is because DOJ hasn't focused on it, or is it because the lack of evidence sufficient to charge in in many cases?
1: While I think that question might be better put to the DOJ, I'm going to try and answer it. Um, I mean, there are several reasons. One is I think we need to, uh, from our side, from uh, the nonprofit side, we do need to keep the pressure up on the DOJ to you know, to explain that we think it is important. Um, The second piece, I think, is also the fact that these cases take several years to prosecute. So just because a case against a company has settled, it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, cases against individuals won't come to fruition. And third, I think, is uh, particularly what you had mentioned in one of our earlier chats, that if you're going to take someone to court, you do, it is a high bar for evidence right? Settling against uh, anybody would be a little bit easier. Uh, The amount of time and resources required to actually take someone to court uh, are immense.
0: That's right. And a a company may agree for a number of reasons to um, settle an action, even though it doesn't think the government could prove its case beyond a reasonable doubt in the DOJ's case. But an individual is far less likely to agree to that, be so accommodating to the DOJ.
1: But we still do want to see more individual prosecution. So we are going to continue to push for that. Okay,
0: no, that makes sense. Okay, Shruti, well, um, as we uh, are end our time together, and I appreciate you being on the call, two quick questions for you on sort of a personal note. Tell me, what is it about the outside world that you most miss during this period of isolation?
1: I think what I most miss is meeting people in person. While you look dapper on screen, it's nothing (laughs) like meeting you uh, across the table for a cup of coffee. That I miss significantly, I would say. And as much as uh, I try to connect with our neighbors and stuff, it's still over a fence and it's still with physical distancing.
0: It's not the same. And ending on a positive note, what is something positive for you that's come out of this period?
1: I would say it would be... When we were growing up, uh, and I'm going to throw a Sanskrit phrase at you, we were taught, Vasudeva kutumbakam, which means the world is your family. And now with this virus, in some ways, I'm beginning to realize the world is our family. I see a lot of uh, efforts in the community of people trying to help complete strangers. Everybody's trying to help everybody. And I think that's the positive thing uh, that has come out of it. We actually finally realized that we are... One with the world
0: Well, thank you for joining uh, me. Really appreciate it. Always great to talk to you and to see you, even if it's via video. Thank you, Emily. Thank you so much. Okay, be well. Bye. <laughs>